A staggering figure, 60,000 U.S. State Department emails stolen by Chinese hackers. TikTok is one of the most dangerous social media apps. Nikki Haley clashing with Vivek Ramaswamy over TikTok during Wednesday's debate. This as TikTok ads try to woo Republicans tuning into Fox News. A Biden bombshell, the president's brother telling the FBI about the family's alleged efforts to help a Chinese company. And China will backfire. That's the latest message from Taiwan's foreign minister, warning Beijing against threats to influence the island's elections. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. A whopping 60,000 emails. That's how many Chinese hackers were able to steal from the U.S. State Department. What's the latest on the Microsoft hacking incident earlier this year? Let's zoom in. State Department officials told lawmakers that Chinese hackers stole 60,000 emails from 10 State Department accounts during a security breach earlier this year. That's according to a staffer who attended a private briefing by State Department IT officials on Wednesday. The staffer works for Senator Eric Schmidt and declined to be named. According to the briefing details shared by the staffer, nine victims were working on East Asia and the Pacific and one worked on Europe. The Chinese hackers were able to steal sensitive information about their travel itineraries and diplomatic deliberations. The hackers also obtained a list containing all of the department's emails. U.S. officials and Microsoft said in July that Chinese state-linked hackers had accessed email accounts at around 25 organizations since May. These include the U.S. Commerce and State Departments. The extent of the breach remains unclear. The sweeping hack has refocused attention on Microsoft's outsized role in providing IT services to the federal government. Senator Schmidt said in a statement shared by the staffer, We need to harden our defenses against these types of cyber attacks and intrusions. We need to take a hard look at the federal government's reliance on a single vendor as a potential weak point. Highlights from Wednesday night's second GOP presidential primary debate. What key topics dominated the heated arguments this time? Ukraine, China and TikTok. Let's dive into the showdown. Seven Republican candidates facing off on Fox News, clashing again Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy. The two got into a heated argument over TikTok. This is infuriating because TikTok is one of the most dangerous social media apps yes, that we could have. And what you've got, I honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say. She's criticizing rival Vivek Ramaswamy for joining the app owned by China's ByteDance. That's despite it being banned on government-issued devices because of national security concerns. Let me just say, text messages, they can get all this of is these important. Things. This is China very important for our exactly party. Ramaswamy says he needs to use platforms like TikTok to reach young voters. This is China very important for our exactly party. What they're this doing. is very important for our party, and I'm going to say you've it. You've gone and you've we helped China build, make medicines in China, not America. Me, excuse you me. now wanting kids to go and get on the social media that's dangerous for all of us. But just moments after debating how to limit China's influence in the U.S. on Fox, ads for the social media appeared several times during the debate's commercial breaks. Aside from TikTok, Ukraine marked another heated debate topic. Driving Russia, for Russia excuse, is me, a win ex for China. excuse me, China is the real enemy, and we're driving Russia further into China's arms. We need a reasonable peace plan to end this. 
Vivek, What's if you let Putin have ranks. Ukraine, that's a and green light to China to take Taiwan. We need the peace comes through strength. The Chinese are paying for the Russian war in Ukraine. We need to say right now that the Chinese-Russian alliance is something we have to fight against. On the other hand, Republican frontrunner Donald Trump spent Wednesday night courting blue-collar voters in Michigan. Reactions from the GOP 2024 debate spin room where surrogates and campaign advisors spoke to reporters about how the candidates performed. One major question coming into focus, who's the toughest on China? NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more. Campaign advisors, supporters and surrogates weighed in following the second GOP primary debate. Matt Gorman, senior communications advisor for Senator Tim Scott's campaign, told NTD's Steve Lance he liked the way Scott was able to contrast his policies with other candidates. He says Scott's approach to dealing with China, a hot topic at the debate, will be strong. He will be strong on China. Um, and I think that's what you saw too today when he was going back and forth with Vivek. You know, Vivek wants to call everybody bought and paid for. He's, you know, purer than the driven snow. And yet, uh, when uh, Vivek, in his previous, I guess, life, pre-political, pre he was uh, had ties to the Chinese Communist Party. His business had ties to the Chinese Communist Party, and, and he was uh, getting money from Hunter Biden's buddy there. So I think what you're going to see is those policy contrasts, particularly in China. Aaron Perine, communications director for the Never Back Down PAC backing DeSantis, said the Florida governor's performance on the debate stage set him apart from other candidates due to his ability to explain his record and path forward on sensitive policy issues like China. And this is one of those record of strength moments for the governor. He has banned, they, they outlawed the ability for China to buy farmland and land in Florida. He has outlawed Confucius Institutes in Florida. We have seen him stand up to the CCP and to the Chinese government to benefit Floridians. When he gets on the national stage, when he becomes president of the United States, those are strong policy positions, decoupling our economies, making sure that America can be independent of China for our own needs. That is what every American should want. And they heard and they know that Ron DeSantis is the candidate who can actually deliver on that. Vivek Ramaswamy surrogate Kathy Barnett says Ramaswamy was the most clear about his message and vision and welcomed the heat from other Republican candidates. People are punching up <laughs> because they recognize that he has the momentum. So we wear all of their angst and criticism as a badge of honor because we recognize that and they recognize as well when you see all of that rancor that's going on is that the momentum is behind him. And the key thing that they should be asking is not how to douse uh, his his momentum and enthusiasm from the people, but what it is, but what is it that is causing that momentum in the first place? And what it is is that no one has been more clear about the vision, about the dangers, and where it is we're running toward, and how to get from where we find ourselves today to actually pulling our nation off the precipice. With former President Trump skipping the debate to address auto workers in Michigan, the GOP frontrunner sent surrogates instead. Trump surrogate Kevin Marino Cabrera told NTD the debate was uneventful and uninspiring. He says Trump chose to take his message straight to the voters and that he's more qualified for the job than anyone on stage. Nobody is more prepared to deal with China than President Trump. Everybody else on stage, again, I think they're just campaigning to see, you know, if they could be Secretary of Commerce, maybe Transportation, but none of them have a real chance to beat President Trump because he's a, he has a commanding lead of nearly 50 percent. It's unsurmountable. The third Republican presidential debate will be held in Miami on November 8th. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News.
potential ties between President Biden's brother and Chinese investors. A memo obtained through IRS whistleblowers reveals new information. The memo also suggests collaboration between James Biden and President Biden's son, Hunter Biden. NTD's Costa Menes has the story. The released report showed that James Biden told the FBI about a potential deal with Chinese investors. This when James Biden was interviewed as part of an investigation last year. The report of the interview was made available after the GOP-led House Ways and Means Committee voted to release a new batch of documents, obtained through two IRS whistleblowers. According to the interview, James Biden said he had a close personal relationship with his nephew Hunter Biden, and that their business relationship consisted of minor ventures. James Biden confirmed that he was introduced to the Chinese energy firm CEFC by Hunter Biden in 2017, and that Hunter Biden had a very close relationship with one of the executives of the firm. The potential deal would have included the development of a port at a Louisiana site owned by liquid natural gas company Monkey Island. The deal subsequently fell through. The FBI memo further revealed that according to James Biden, Hunter Biden and his business partner received several hundreds of thousands of dollars from the Chinese energy firm, and that James Biden was subsequently paid directly by Hunter Biden. He also told the FBI that Hunter Biden promised to pay him $60,000 despite the deal falling through. President Joe Biden has repeatedly claimed that he or his family have not received money from China. CEFC was dissolved in 2018 following the arrest of one of the chief executives and the conviction of another company official. Kostemines, NTD News. The future of the U.S. electric car industry seemingly in the Biden administration's hands. Starting next year, price-conscious customers might face fewer options for electric vehicles. That's as Washington plans to strip away a $7,500 subsidy for those who buy cars made with materials from, quote, foreign entities of concern. The rule seeks to reduce reliance on Chinese-made materials and batteries for electric cars. As for how strictly the requirement will be enforced, it's up to the White House to decide by the end of this fall. Debate over the removal comes as lawmakers express concerns over Ford's partnership with Chinese battery giant CATL or Cattle over its fears the company uses forced labor in the Xinjiang region. On the other hand, General Motors is taking a different route. Earlier this year, the automotive company invested $650 million in Lithium Americans, a Canada-based resource firm. That investment makes GM the largest shareholder, beating out Chinese mining company Gangfeng. GM CEO has said Ford's plans could enable China's advantage in the U.S. market. A major step for Taiwan's defense efforts. The island just unveiled its first domestically developed submarine on Thursday. The plan for building our own submarines is an important combat force for protecting Taiwan's maritime borders. We have to deal with the everyday military threat coming from China and therefore strengthening our overall defense capabilities. The new submarine named Narwhal is one of eight new vehicles. It will enter service in two years. President Tsai Ing-wen kicked off the indigenous submarine program after taking office in 2016. Tsai said it forms an important part of a project to modernize the island's armed forces. 
On the other hand, Beijing on Thursday said Taiwan's self-made submarine is overestimating itself and attempting something impossible. According to the program's director, Taiwan hopes to deploy at least two of these domestic submarines by 2027, with the possibility of equipping later models with missiles. As Taiwan enters a busy campaign season for the upcoming January elections, a warning from the island's foreign minister. The historical lesson that the more China adopts a forceful way of intervening in our election, uh, it's going to backfire. And I think the Chinese leaders uh, know that very well. Wu said Beijing is preparing for a possible future attack on Taiwan, including how to deal with U.S. intervention. New research just revealed 84 instances of Chinese information campaigns targeting the island's voters. And Beijing and its state media are pushing some bold statements, like saying the U.S. is a fake friend to Taiwan. The regime has stepped up its military activities around Taiwan over the past three years. Just this month, Taiwan reported that China sent more than 100 warplanes over in a 24-hour period, a new high in recent times. China has never renounced the possible use of force to bring Taiwan under its control. Beijing claims the island as its own territory, despite never having ruled it. Infamous Chinese property developer Evergrande with more trouble on the horizon. The indebted giant's chairman now suspected of crimes. Authorities told Evergrande he's subject to mandatory measures in accordance with the law. It followed reports that Chinese police detained several Evergrande Wealth Unit employees. The company's shares were suspended from trading Thursday, shortly after the news broke. Evergrande is the world's most indebted property developer and more than $300 billion in the hole. The giant is now trying to stave off a court petition as groups of creditors look to liquidate the company. They say they'll pursue the move if the company fails to submit a new plan to revamp its debt by next month. China's now weakened property sector is a major economic indicator, once making up a quarter of its GDP. A special event driving a return to classy, traditional beauty. 32 contestants made the cut for our network's global Chinese beauty pageant. What sets the competition apart from the rest? Here's a closer look. Beauties from around the globe gathering here in New York for a mission, competing to restore aesthetic values found in traditional Chinese culture. 90% nerve-wracking and then 10% exciting. I think all of the contestants really did such a great job. NTD's global Chinese beauty pageant pushes for a return to true beauty. Contestants participated in a set of trainings to deepen their understanding of traditional culture. I'm pretty excited, even though we're competing against each other. But actually, everyone is very willing to help other people and help them to get better. Beyond appearance, NTD's pageant places a great emphasis on inner beauty. Contestants will be judged on five essential values, morality, righteousness, propriety, benevolence, and faithfulness. It really gives us a chance to not only show that we're beautiful outside, but we have a lot of you know, deep thoughts and we have a lot of ways that we want to inspire other young women to do the same in society. It's kind of nice to judge things based on the energy that the girls exude and also you know, their inner self, their inner beauty and those, you know, and, and based on, you know, morality and virtues as well as. So, yeah, you take both things into account, which is very different. The winner will be crowned with a sapphire tiara.
and bring home a $10,000 grand prize. She'll then go on to travel around the world, promoting the essence of traditional aesthetic values. The final competition is set for this coming Saturday. Tickets are available online at MissNTD.org or call 929-999-1168. Coming up from North Korea to Russia to Iran, China is bolstering ties with major world adversaries. Are we seeing potential for a new axis? And how should Washington handle its own relations with the hostile regimes? We sat down with Gabriel Nerona, former U.S. Special Advisor for Iran, for details. More on that after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. As Beijing steadily moves to team up with the allies in the third world, what should the U.S. do about the growing ties? And how could the Biden administration's green energy focus impact the dynamics? We speak to Gabriel Nerona, former U.S. Special Advisor for Iran, for more. Gabriel Nerona, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. A pleasure to be here. To begin, it seems Russia and China are moving closer together. Russia's top oil and gas chiefs are to accompany Putin to China. How should we read this? So it's good for Russia, good for China. Uh, it's also one of predictability and stability. It doesn't have to use the sea lanes, um, which a lot of the oil from the Middle East, uh, it's coming on large cargo ships. But Russia can just come by pipeline, and it's much harder to disrupt that in the event of a war. So China is looking to make sure that if there's a war over Taiwan, it can have that access uninterrupted. And it seems from the U.S. perspective, the U.S. has just blacklisted 28 entities, mostly from China and Russia. Where do you see all of this going? Well, I think what we're headed towards is kind of a little bit more like the Cold War, where you had two separate spheres of the world influence. Sanctions are actually helping create that divide because it's saying if you choose to work with Russia, if you choose to work with Iran, here are the sanctions penalties. And so increasingly you're seeing from China an effort to create sort of a sanctions-proof architecture where they say these, these banks, these companies aren't connected to anything else in our economy, so you can go ahead and sanction them. It won't have any effect. Uh, I think what we're headed to is kind of another axis alignment um, that's anti-Western. To your point, it does seem that especially hit a lot of these countries after the sanctions on Russia for the invasion on Ukraine. Now we're seeing different moves with the BRICS countries, with Brazil and China trading in the yuan instead of the dollar. But with all these different movements, what should the U.S. be doing now? We have to really show economic leadership around the world. Um, we kind of take it for granted that people use the U.S. dollar. Um, it was a sign of uh, America's economic predominance. Uh, but that only works as long as America's economy is strong and as, as we have trade deals and economic engagement with the rest of the world. Um, we've gone nearly 15 years with barely any trade deals now. Um, now the Biden administration is very focused on environmental and labor reform and less so on the actual hard, uh, cold, hard economic uh, engagement and, and opportunity there. That's made it really hard for the U.S. to compete in Latin America and Africa. 
To your point, it does seem to the Biden administration is really focused on pushing the so-called green or clean energies, and that seems to be increasing the U.S.'s dependence and reliance on China especially. So with that kind of dynamic, where do you see that leaving the U.S.? I think if the United States is intent on going the solar route for its green sort of green economy, um, it's a path towards perdition, really. It's, uh, it's going to cause us to be incredibly reliant on the Chinese supply chain. Um, as much as 85% of the minerals and, and metals used in the solar supply chain are either mined by Chinese companies or processed in China. Um, again, solar is not the answer. I think nuclear power is gaining a lot of traction in the United States as the solution, uh, as sort of an antidote to some of these national security supply chain questions that we have. And given these moves that we're seeing zooming out to geopolitics, where do you see all of this heading? You know, I think um, China is likely, uh, as it's facing this sort of economic pressure internally, to try to find an antidote in its foreign policy. It's the same uh, sort of incentives that led Putin to invade Georgia in 2008 and Ukraine in 2014. As they saw their domestic approval ratings fall, they go and invade another country. Um, Xi Jinping is in very tough um, pressure right now domestically. Um, he's begun his third term, um, and I think he's going to start seeing a lot of grumbling from the Chinese people. That's going to coincide with a strong demand to go take Taiwan by force. Um, and when that happens, you're probably going to see that rally around the flag um, effect and, and see more domestic support for him. And with all the topics covered today, any final thoughts you'd like to share? Um, you know, it's the world is getting more dangerous, um, not less dangerous. Uh, unfortunately, the United States is not treating that problem seriously when it comes to our uh, defense budget. Uh, we need to be doubling down and making sure we have strength that way no one wants to start a war with us um, the best way to stop a war is is to um, is to show that it would be very painful for anyone who starts it it's like what reagan said peace through strength well gabriel norona thank you so much for joining us thank you pleasure to be here that's all for today's china in focus i'm tiffany meyer if you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover send us an email at chinainfocusntd.com We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.